Hello and welcome to Hosanna. I'm Pastor Jen Alexander and please hear me say, we believe the Lord led you here to help you grow in faith and look a little more like Jesus. After today's message, we encourage you to download the Hosanna app for more opportunities to connect and grow. Here's today's message. Good to be with you. If you're new with us, let me introduce myself. My name is Ryan Alexander. I serve as the lead pastor here and it is so good to be with you at all four of our campuses as well as those of you who are joining us live or later online. Does anyone else feel like you just need to take a deep breath? Like <laughs> there's a lot going on in the world right now and, uh, and it's, it's good to remember. It's a communion weekend. It's good to remember uh, that God's grace is sufficient for us. That Jesus is all we need. He's really all we got, amen? And uh, we just need to be reminded of that. Or maybe you need to hear that for the first time. Um, I was thinking about all this and praying, and God gave me this word, that the only truly safe place is in God's loving embrace. The only truly safe place is in God's loving, eternal embrace. Maybe you just need to hear that this morning. And I need to hear that from time to time. Uh, just a, a friendly pastoral reminder, uh, this is the time that we remind you, encourage you to bring your tithes and your offerings to the Lord here at Hosanna. When you, when you give, you are the provision for the vision. Our vision is multiplying the hope and heartbeat of Jesus. So when you give to the Lord at Hosanna, you are making it possible for the hope and heartbeat of, of Jesus to be multiplied into thousands and thousands and thousands of lives every week. So be very encouraged about that. There are lots of ways to give. Uh, the easiest way for you and for us is online recurring giving, just that automatic online giving. Uh, but, but give however the Lord leads you. And be blessed as you bless the Lord in that and you bless others. Blessed to be a blessing. Well, last week we, we heard the second week of a two-part mega theme, bigger story mega theme series called Lament. Pastor Chris Gresseth gave a great uh, message last week. Make sure you, you check that out. Uh, but in this series on lament, I think uh, it's true that all of us have experienced some, some loss or disruption or change in some big or small way. And so go, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that message series if you haven't already. Last weekend was also Ascension Weekend, the time in the church year where the worldwide church remembers that Jesus, 40 days after the resurrection, ascended into heaven. And he's there now, sitting at the right hand of the Father. And so we, we celebrate that with the rest of the church around the world, Ascension Sunday last weekend. This weekend is Pentecost Sunday in the worldwide church calendar, that we join together with Christians all over the world remembering Pentecost, the Holy Spirit being poured out on the early church, birthing the church, which means this is the church's birthday, in a sense. Means the church is one, about 1,990 years old. So happy birthday, church. You're looking good for your age, by the way. It's the birthday of the church, Pentecost weekend. This is where we are in the bigger story, too. Ascension and Pentecost. The bigger story journey that we've been on as a church. We're going through the Bible from beginning to end. Genesis to Revelation. Mega theme by mega theme. And where we are in that bigger story is right here. Ascension, Pentecost. Where Jesus is handing the baton to his church, to his followers, saying, I want you to carry on the work that I have done so far. I want you to carry the message forward. I want you to carry my presence forward. I want to empower you to be my presence in the world. 
church. That's where we are in the bigger story. And you can imagine them going, I don't know if we're ready for that. Well, ready or not, Jesus empowered them. And we probably feel that way too, because this is our purpose as the body of Christ, is to be the presence of God in the world, to carry on the mission, the ministry of Jesus in our world today. And we might be thinking, I don't know if I'm ready for that. Well, ready or not, he wants to empower us to do it. One of the first times I was empowered to do something that I didn't think I was quite ready for, I was um, doing my student teaching. My undergraduate degree was in education, which, by the way, reminds me, um, how many teachers and educators do we have? Just raise your hand at all of our campuses. You're a teacher and educator. We just, we're not going to have you stand, but we just want to recognize you. It's the end of the school year. We know it's been an, an extraordinary year. And we are so grateful for you, educators. Uh, we support you, and, and we believe in you. We know this has been just one crazy year in many respects. And over the last couple of weeks, what's happened um, in Texas, I know the weight that you've carried. So thank you, educator, educators. We wrap up this school year. But I was doing my student teaching at Callis Junior High in Puyallup, Washington, eighth grade English. And uh, I was about two weeks into my student teaching, and my mentor teacher uh, said, Ryan, it's time. I don't know if I'm ready, it's time. <laughs> and I got up in front and remember overhead projectors, remember those? And I started diagramming sentences uh, on the overhead projector and I looked up expecting to see my mentor teacher in the back of the room and he was gone. I found out later he had gone to mow his lawn, <laughs> which I don't think is legal. It was convenient for him. <laughs> but, but I was, ready or not, I was empowered to diagram sentences in front of eighth grade English students. The early church was empowered by Jesus at Pentecost, the ascension, to, to carry on the work that he had done, to, to be empowered to be his presence. They were empowered to be his presence in the world. This is where we pick up the bigger story in Acts chapter one. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open them up to Acts chapter one. After the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts was actually written by Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. So Luke and Acts are almost like a two-volume set. Luke writes the Gospel of Luke, which is the, the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that account. And then Acts is the account, the history of the early church. And Luke, we find out from, from Colossians chapter four, was a physician, a doctor. And now he is writing about the history of the early church that was empowered to carry on the work that Jesus has done, empowered through the Holy Spirit. And he's writing to someone named Theophilus, which in the Greek means lover of God. Theos, God. Philio, love, lover of God. So if you're someone who loves God, wants to love God, this book is also written to you, Acts Chapter one, verse one. In this, my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Let's pause here for a second. Before his death and re resurrection, Jesus Number one topic, the thing he talked about most was the kingdom of God. After the resurrection, his number one topic, the thing he talked about most was the kingdom of God. 
What Jesus wanted more than anything else, his followers, his listeners to understand is that he came to bring a different kind of kingdom, the kingdom of God. Because in Jesus' day, there was a kingdom on the left and there was a kingdom on the right. There was a kingdom on the left that was progressive and secular and pluralistic. There was a kingdom on the right that was legalistic and moralistic and politicized, trying to use religion for its political advantage. Kingdom on the right. Jesus said, I didn't come to reinforce or bring either kingdom. I didn't come to bring any worldly kingdom. I came to bring a different, a wholly different, categorically different kingdom than the political kingdoms that are being built in this world. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. And I think he wants to remind us today, I didn't come to reinforce or build the kingdom on the left or the kingdom on the right or any political kingdom. I, I am here, you are here as my followers to build the kingdom of God. If you wanna be a part of that, say amen. amen. Verse four, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized, John the baptized, baptized or baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is pointing to Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You can read about Pentecost later. We won't look at it in this message in Acts chapter two. Do read it this week, Pentecost Sunday. Jesus is saying God's gonna pour out the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is gonna be poured out. Prior to this, the Spirit was available to particular people at particular times and particular locations. But now, with Pentecost, the Spirit of God's gonna be poured out on all of his people, everywhere, all the time. And, it's gonna be, and because of that pouring out of the Spirit, we will be able to receive spiritual gifts that only the Spirit can give. We're empowered to, to live out those spiritual gifts. We did a series called Gifted last summer. Where we talked about those spiritual gifts. So you wanna go back and, and check that out. Verse six, so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? <laughs> and Jesus must have been thinking, I've spent three plus years with you. I've been appearing to you off and on in my resurrected form for 40 days, talking about the kingdom of God, and you're st still asking me, when are we gonna restore this worldly kingdom? <laughs> it's like, when are they gonna get it? I didn't come to restore a worldly kingdom, political kingdom governmental kingdom. He replied, but Jesus is patient, isn't he? The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. Let me read that again. They are not for you to know. There's a lot going on in the world today. So people are asking, hey, is this it? I mean, in the end times, there's a lot going on. Well, the reality is there's been a lot going on for thousands of years. <laughs> there is a lot going on right now. You never know. But Jesus in multiple places, including here, says, it is not for you to know the time or the place. You're supposed to be ready all the time. We don't know the exact time, the end times, the second coming of Jesus. But we do know this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that phrase comes upon you is the same phrase that's used in the Gospel of Luke to describe what happens to Mary, the mother of Jesus, when the Holy Spirit comes upon her. And what happens then? She's impregnated with Jesus, the Son of God. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us in a similar way, the presence of Jesus is born in us, is placed in us. And the power 
comes. The Greek word is dunamis, dunamis. It means power. It, it means very simply to make able, to make possible, to empower, empower you. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be made able. You will be empowered to do what you cannot do on your own. Well, what is that? Glad you asked. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me wherever or everywhere, everywhere. The purpose of the Holy Spirit coming upon God's people is not to be impressive or to hold power over people or be weird or whatever. The purpose of the Holy Spirit coming upon people is to empower the church, to empower you to be his witnesses. The Greek word there is where we get the English word for witnesses, where we get the English word martyr from. So actually, says, I'm empowering you. I, Holy Spirit will empower you to be my martyrs, to give up your life. The supreme goal, the supreme end for an early Christian was to be martyred like Jesus. Not to just figuratively give up their lives, but to literally give up their lives to be witnesses for Jesus. That two-word phrase, telling people, it's not in the original Greek. We think that witnessing is only about you know, what we say, but actually it's even more about what we do and what we say, but, but even more about what we do, how we live as martyrs, giving our lives, sacrificing our lives, serving other people, showing people Jesus. Maybe that's the simple way to define witnessing, to show people who Jesus is, what he looks like. We're carrying on what he started, empowered to do that through the Holy Spirit everywhere. See, when Jesus, before and after his resurrection, can only be, after his resurrection, he seemed to be able to come and go pretty freely, but, but still, he could only be certain places, certain times. But now as he leaves, the Holy Spirit comes, he can be everywhere through who? Us, his church. And specifically, to be my witnesses, he says, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth. And over the course of this three-week, bigger story, mega theme, we're gonna talk about this increasingly outward movement that we as the church are empowered to continue from Jerusalem to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is what we're empowered to do. Increasingly outward to people who are less you know, similar to us increasingly and increasingly have less proximity to us, ends of the earth, geographically. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Next week, talk about Samaria, people who are different than us, maybe near to us in some ways, but who are different than us ethnically, culturally. But today, for the rest of this time, we're gonna talk about what it means for us as the church to be empowered to be his witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea. Let's start with Jerusalem. What, is it, what did it mean for Jewish Christians living in the first century to be the witnesses of Jesus, to be the martyrs of Jesus, to show people Jesus 
in Jerusalem. First of all, two things. First of all, it meant worship. Jerusalem was where they went to worship God, where they, where they believed God's presence was most intensely available, where they could encounter God's presence in the temple. And so they would stream to Jerusalem to worship throughout the year, multiple times a year. For us too, what it means to be witnesses today is to come to worship like you are today. That you are coming to worship God, to experience his presence. So important when we, when we think about being empowered to be his witnesses, ready or not, you're empowered. It has to start here with worship. Coming into God's presence, hearing his word, encountering him. It's where it starts, but it's not where it ends. Jerusalem's where it starts. Worship's where it start, starts. From there, we go out to be his witnesses, to be his martyrs, to be his representatives, to people out there. One of our worship leaders, Shakopee Drew Russell, he says this, that, that the goal really, the outcome of worship is mission. We don't come to worship to just you know, feel good. Hopefully that is true, and hopefully you get filled up and all that, but you get filled up to go out there to be his witnesses then and now. The second thing it means is family. To come to Jerusalem for us to worship is to come to family. It meant that in Jesus' day too, two to three times a year, people from all over Israel would come to Jerusalem to, to celebrate the main festivals, religious festivals. And so family would come from all over and they hadn't seen each other for months and it was like a big family reunion. Some of you are getting nervous, family reunion. But, but for many, this was an encouraging time to come together and then, then they would share stories, they would share their hearts, they would share their faith with each other as we are to do today, to witness to each other Jerusalem starts here, our family, our church family, to love each other well. Jesus even says, they will know you are my believers by your love for one another as you love each other, as you serve each other, as you witness to each other, as you show Jesus to each other, church family, to be united so that the world may know our actual families. What does it mean to be witnesses to our actual families? It can be far too easy to go, okay, I'm supposed to be witnesses to people out there and we forget about our families. That can happen in a pastor's family really quickly because we're thinking about, okay, how do we do this as the church? But we have our family to witness to. Our little flock we call our family. We have our big flock, Hosanna. What does it look like to witness to our families? It's a fine line. We're usually not the one to lead our family members to conversion and often it's somebody else who does that, but that doesn't mean we don't witness to them. Jerusalem, what does that mean for you? But then we're to go from Jerusalem to Judea. What did being a witness in Judea mean to people living in the first century, almost 2,000 years ago? Well, Judea was a place that originated from the tribe of Judah. There were 12 tribes of Israel, sons of Jacob who became Israel. Judah was one of them. Judah was the southern kingdom after the the kingdom of Israel was split in 922 BC and the kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom existed until about 587 BC. It's still today in modern day Israel, a mountainous region, Judea in modern day Israel. 
and what it meant for people to be witnesses in Judea is to be witnesses to the people who were right around them, people who were close to them, their neighbors, maybe the people they worked with, the people who were closest to them. And this is where Jesus started too. In fact, we read in Acts 3 that when God raised up his servant Jesus, he sent him first to you people of Israel to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. Jesus started with the people of Israel, his people, which goes all the way back to Abraham in the bigger story, who was blessed 2,000 years earlier, who was blessed to be a blessing. It was God's plan to bless the whole world through this nation called Israel. And now, for him to bless the whole world through his people again today, his church. We start with the people who are right around us. And this is where the early church start, starts. In Acts chapter two, following Pentecost, P Peter preaches this powerful sermon to a crowd of fellow Jews. And then it says 3,000 people were added to the Christian church that day. Good start. Didn't last. Because from there, many clashes between Christians and Jews began. Jewish people became increasingly resistant and hostile and oppositional to Christianity, perceiving it as a threat. So what it meant for people then, the church then, the body of Christ then was empowered to reach Judea, was to be reaching people who were like them, ethnically, geographically, culturally, but who didn't necessarily like them which is, is what it means for us to reach Judea today too, I think. People who are like us, maybe look like us, live like us, work with us, but they don't necessarily like us. What do you mean they don't like us? They don't even know us. Well, it's not about us personally per se, but it is about the perceptions that people around us increasingly have of Christians that they look like us, they live around us, but they don't necessarily like us. For all kinds of reasons. Some people think, oh man, Christianity is so archaic, it's so outdated, and I can't believe people, believe people still believe things like that. They, they think that Christians are barbaric even, judgmental, harsh. People who are like us who don't necessarily like us. We're working with a group uh, right now, a company right now. We've asked to come in and help us reach such people to be how we can more effectively be witnesses to people who are like us but don't like us. And we intentionally asked a group of people who aren't Christian to help us with that. Why? Because we don't want them to think like us. We want them to think like them, people outside the church. It was funny, we were working with the troop and their leader the first couple weeks. Because who are them, the people that, you know, Judea, people who like us or don't like us. They're given all kinds of names, like unchurched, dechurched, the nuns. People when asked, what religion are you? They, they check the box, none, N-O-N-E. Or the duns. People are like, been there, done that. I'm done with this. So the first couple meetings working with this group, we kept saying, we believe God wants us to reach the nuns. And he, remember, he not, not you know, doesn't have this strong Christian vernacular background. And he's looking at us like, okay, you want to reach the nuns, okay. And he just had this puzzled look on his face like, all right. For the first couple sessions, he thought we were saying we want to reach the nuns, N-U-N-S. 
the non, she's like, aren't they already reached, you know? <laughs> and we want to reach the nuns. So they went out, this is what they do, they talked to hundreds of nuns and read all kinds of resources from people who are like us, who don't necessarily like Christianity for all kinds of reasons, and, and they found that the nuns are saying things like this, not N-U-N-S, they're saying things like, I don't need religion to be a good person. I'm spiritual but not religious. Christianity is hypocritical. Don't get me started. Don't even get me started. Now this is where some Christians, not Christians who go to Hosanna, but this is where some Christians start to get defensive and insecure and argumentative and combative. What do they mean? But not us. Because we understand that we are to be witnesses to people who are like us but don't like us. We are to love them, to, to witness to them, to show Jesus to them. Stephen, who was one of the first Christians, as he was being stoned, people were killing him. People who were like him but didn't like him were stoning him. What did he say? He said, Father, forgive them. He loved them even as they were killing him. That's who we are going to be as witnesses at Hosanna. So how do we do this? Empowered to be witnesses to people who are like us but don't necessarily like us. Three things as I close here. One is to reach Judea, we've got to own it. We've got to own it. We've got to own the things that have happened in the name of Christianity that were just wrong, hurtful, misrepresented Jesus. Uh, we, we need to move from lament to repent. Lamenting over how people have been hurt by the Christian church and then repenting of that. There are really two groups of people here. There are some that say, well, that's not my fault. I didn't do all that stuff. This is in the past. There's other Christians. Or... And then there are people who say, you know what? I probably do that more than I realize. And even if I'm not the one who's creating that reputation for the church, I'm guilty by association. I'm gonna take responsibility for it. Even if I didn't do anything, I'd take responsibility for it. Which one sounds more like Jesus of these two people to you? Second thing, which leads me to the second thing, is that we need to look more like Jesus. Our mission statement here is to humbly and boldly be a church that looks more like Jesus. So let's start there, humility. How do we look more like Jesus? Humility, deeper humility, more humility. Owning it, it's not even owning it. Sometimes people say, <laughs> Yeah, Christians are hypocrites. This throws them off. I say, yep, I agree with you. They are. In fact, you know what? I'm a hypocrite. Because I should be more generous than I am. I should be more humble than I am. I should be more loving than I am. I'm a hypocrite. It changes the conversation with people. Jesus even called people hypocrites, you know, religious people. Just to be humble, to own it. Humility, we have a saying around our staff, humility always wins. Pride and blaming and boasting and just, it never ends. Humility wins. Jesus shows us that on the cross. Humility wins. He hadn't done a thing wrong. Humility wins. Love this quote. The humility isn't thinking less about yourself. It's about thinking about yourself less. Right? Serving others like Jesus. How about being bold? What does it mean to be bold? People say that to me sometimes. Ryan, we just need to be more bold as Christians. Usually they're thinking about the kingdom on the left or the kingdom on the right, to be honest with you. 
They're not thinking about what Jesus was really bold about. Because if we're gonna be bold, let's be bold about what Jesus was bold about. What was he bold about? He was bold, he was bold about standing up to religious people. He was really bold about that. He was bold about talking about money. The second thing he talked about most after the kingdom of God was money because he knew that money would enslave people, would become their master. He was bold about that. He was bold about healing. He prayed boldly for healing. We do that here too. We, we know that this side of the kingdom coming fully, that not everyone will be healed, but that doesn't mean we don't, we don't pray boldly for healing. Maybe some of you need that today. We believe God can heal people today. He was bold about the kingdom of God. He was bold about loving the unlovable. That the, the, the people that the religious people, the kingdom on the right, the kingdom on the left had kind of discarded and dismissed. He was bold about loving the unlovable. That's how we're gonna be bold. And you know how we do that? Is remembering that he loved us too. He loved even you and me. As unlovable as we can be at times, as fallen and flawed as we are at times, he loves you unconditionally. He loves you fully. He forgives you completely. And the more we get that, the more we can say, yeah, I wanna be witnesses to people who need to know that they are loved unconditionally, everlasting love by the God of the universe. Lastly, if we're gonna reach Judea, we've gotta be empowered by the Holy Spirit because we can't do this on our own. In fact, it's, in some ways, at least in our recent history, it's never been harder to reach people in Judea. You know? In fact, in some ways, it's even easier to reach people at the ends of the earth. In fact, people at the ends of the earth are starting to send missionaries to this country because it's just getting harder for Christianity to make to make that headway in our culture today. We're gonna need the Holy Spirit. But when we have the Holy Spirit, anything is possible. All things are possible. He can do anything. And he wants to empower us right now, even now, to do what only he can do. That the body of Christ would be empowered to be martyrs, to be witnesses, to show people who Jesus really is. Would you stand right now on this Pentecost weekend? I'm gonna pray that the Holy Spirit would come and give us dunamis. If you wanna receive what he has for you, just put your hands out. That he would pour into your life. Jesus says in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to me. Now go and make disciples. It's his authority that we need. It's his dunamis. It's his presence that we need. So we pray now that come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. We need another Pentecost-like experience today to make us into the people, the body of Christ that you've created us to be, to make us more humble in all the ways that you were, Jesus, to make us more bold in all the ways that you were, Jesus, to make us more able to be your witnesses as those who would otherwise be unlovable and yet you have loved us. May we go now empowered by your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, fall. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do, that we would be a part of the church that is moving forward today, ready or not, empowered to be your witnesses in this world. We believe it boldly, humbly. We receive your Spirit, fall. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen.